Welcome to the AZ Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Hamid Shojai. Let's go. Woo, I think we're live, right? All right. We are live. <laughs> With Brad Thomas, co-founder of Evercast. Hey, Brad, how thank, are you? Thank you for the invite, and it's so great to actually be in person. Yes, it's, uh, it's one of those things where we needed to get past this uh, COVID and put it behind us. Yep, and, and hopefully we learned a little bit from it, and yeah. you know, we're going to move on to bigger and better things. Um, speaking of COVID, uh, your business, Evercast, was doing a million dollars in ARR last year about this time. Yeah, I think it was maybe even a little bit less than that. Less than yeah, a million. Yeah, it was under a million, yeah. And fast forward a year, uh, right now you guys just broke 10 million ARR. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That yeah. is absolutely phenomenal growth, a thousand percent, 10 time increase in revenues. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So uh, that the catalyst for that was COVID. Yep. Um, so I want I want to go through all of that. So first, put us like just to build up the story. I want to know what was Evercast like pre-COVID? Yeah, where you were struggling, you barely hit a million dollars in ARR. <laughs> Talk about those struggles, and then put us through the sort of like past year. Sure. And that roller coaster ride. Well, you know, so when you when you start a company, and you know you know this very well that you're always starting a company based off a set of assumptions, right? right. Like, okay, I think someone will pay me for this idea. And so, in 2016, when I set off to build this with uh, two of my other co-founders, um, we knew that there was a need for a platform that would enable remote collaboration between like video content creators and musicians and all that type of stuff. Okay, and so. Um, we, you know, I, some, I, actually, maybe, maybe yeah. that's a good place to just actually, what is Evercast? Good. Because, because good like, I, I just realized, yeah. you, you know, not everyone's going to know that. No, totally. That's a, that's a good question. So, you know, we always like to consider ourselves, we, uh, we'll call us the zoom for creatives, right? Okay. So what does that mean? So that basically means that there's a bunch of different ways that you can stream through our platform. So you can share your screen, you can, sh- you can stream external devices, but the bottom line is that what you get out of it is a director can work remotely with their editor or their visual effects team um, in real time. You know, it's kind of like, you know how when you share your screen on any Zoom or Skype or anything like that, yeah. just imagine sharing your screen, but it being 60 frames per second, uh, 1080, we'll be do- we're working on 2K and 4K options and that type of stuff, but just a super crisp, super clear um, sh- uh, uh, screen share, basically. Right, right. right. And with, that allows the audio aud- of yep. the like uh, movie or whatever you're playing going through as well. Totally. So you know, stereo. We started off with just stereo, but now we have five one. Um, we're, we're going into seven one. We're actually even working with a company called Mach One that allows you to do spatial audio. So as you move your head left and right, you can oh, simulate wow. um, up to Atmos surround sound without actually having a full um, surround sound setup. So yeah, so we're. We, you know, we like calling ourselves the, the Zoom for creatives because ultimately that's what we're trying to become is the, the go-to remote collaboration platform for creatives, right? Gotcha. And so um, so we knew that there was a need for it. And the need that we knew that because in a previous company um, that I was a part of, uh, we were doing a lot of marketing videos. And it was always such a pain, especially if your team was remote. And it just so happens that our team was remote, to have to... You know, and I, of course, I was the editor, right? So right. I was not only one of the founders, but I, I ended up being the editor for a lot of this marketing content. And it was always such a pain to, you know, we would work on a piece of content. I would render the content out. I would send it to the team. I would wait for their feedback. Usually it wouldn't come until the evening. And I'd get the feedback back, and I didn't understand half the stuff that was written in the notes. And then right. it was just this, it just felt like it, it, it made it feel really detached. Right. 
And so uh, me and one of the found other founders, you know, we started looking at other options, Skype. I think Zoom, Zoom was around, yeah. So we looked at Zoom, Skype, and nothing could just create the quality that we were looking for, especially, especially to collaborate. When it, to collaborate on yeah. that type of work, right? Especially when it came down to the final 10%. You know, it's yeah. it's one thing to to use any platform and just kind of get you up to like the eighty percent, ninety percent mark, but it's that last the devil's in the details when you start getting to finalizing a, a, a piece of content like that, right? Yeah. So especially for the finalizing part of the of the uh, of making content, that back and forth with a remote production team, absolute pain in the butt. Yeah. And I um, yeah, so when when the previous company uh, unfortunately didn't work out. It was like, okay, do I pack up and go get a job? Or, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and, you know. Doing this being an, being entrepreneur. an entrepreneur. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. And I've, you know, I always Once say, an entrepreneur, oh, like, oh, you, just that, can't, you can't like, like pull that out of the person, right? It's, it's the creative part of being an entrepreneur is what, is what it's really all about for me, right? It's the fact that you can, that you take something that was once in your head, like just an idea. Right. And all of a sudden... Oh, down the road, you build something, and now that thing that came from your head, which didn't even exist before, is now interacting with people, which is just yeah. It's it's like it's like having a kid, and that kid grows up to be something amazing, and yeah. then has a positive impact on other people. So, I've always been addicted to that to that like it's so an the feel that you get when other people use your product, yes. and they're like, "Man, I find this useful. I I can't oh, live without it anymore." And, it is and like. That feeling for entrepreneurs, I think, is is absolutely amazing. Yeah, and that's why we're insane and we keep going back to it, right? Because yeah. and, and we'll talk about the struggle in a little while. But, yeah, the, the, it is very difficult, and that's only one piece of the equation, right? right. So, um, but, yeah, so we we started building the technology, and, you know, sometimes you don't realize why things don't fully exist until you get into them. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Yeah, okay, it's way harder. There's than a I lot of think. there's a lot of things to this. It's not just you know producing a nice quality screen share. No, no, no. There's a lot more to it because you know once you get this, once you actually are able to get this low latency stream, then it's like how do you build out your um, Amazon servers so you can scale? And there's just so many things that that come into play. So it took about um, about three years, and I think at the time we raised maybe. Three million dollars or something like that. Okay, and you know, I still. What, what year did Evercast start? Um, so we founded it in 2015, I think, but we didn't really start like really going until the end, maybe like early 2016 was when we when we really started diving into it. So l- let's just say 2016, sometime you start. So for almost four years, you're struggling to build it uh, with three million dollars in funding. You str- struggled to build it to a one million dollar revenue company. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was like three or four million, but yeah, it was under five for sure. Okay, uh, four, four or five uh, million that you raised, raised, or three or four million that yeah, you raised. Yeah, it was raised. under five to get us. It was like three or four to get us to the one million or, or close to the one million uh, AR. Okay, perfect. Uh, and, and and then uh, like. Was it a smooth ride? Like, was it you know, like? Uh, well, I, I know it's never a smooth ride. So <laughs> let me let me retract my question yeah, and instead sure. ask: Were there times where you were like, okay, we're we're probably going to be shutting down? Uh, and <laughs> and how late were some of those shutdown moments hitting you guys? Just the thought of what we've had to go through like makes me start to sweat a little bit because it's like there were so many times where I had. I there's no way I thought we were going to be able to overcome a certain hurdle, right? Um, and it's also amazing too how there's times when things happen and you're like, oh my gosh, this happened. This is amazing. This is the thing that's gonna 
be the thing that sets that that sets us up for everything else. And it's amazing how sometimes the things that you think are going to be the things that help you take off never end up being anything, right? So, yeah. So what, what were some of those things? Just like getting a like a certain director, like okay. especially to well, use your product to use the product, right? You're so like if well, who, who, like can you name some of them or because um, you, you're working with Hollywood people? Oh, right? every every major studio. I mean, every major director, I mean, pretty much everyone. Um, so who was one of the, uh, like, first famous people that you guys were like, okay, we got this person, and therefore we're probably over the hurdle. This is probably going to be the yeah, catalyst. Yeah, this is something I actually can talk about. So okay. our first may well, okay, so there's two. So the first thing was getting our my now co-founder and buddy and best friend, Roger Barton. Okay. So for those of you who don't know who he is, turns out that film editing is one of the most important things outside of actually directing the movie or a TV show, right? Right. The film editor is what basically takes all the footage and then tells the story through cuts. Okay. So Roger is one of the one of the bigger, probably the biggest, one of the biggest uh, film editors in the industry, and he's done all the Transformer movies and Pirates of the Caribbean, World War Z, just a ton of movies, right? Okay. Wow. And so he was supposed to go to Atlanta to start the new Godzilla one, the one that recently came out of like six or seven months ago, right? So okay. he was going to be editing that movie, and he was supposed to go to Atlanta for five months. And uh, he didn't want to go because he was actually going through a divorce because of the strain that being a film editor in Hollywood put on his family life between his son and uh, his now ex-wife. And so he was starting to look for, like, how can I convince the studio to allow me to do what I'm good at, but do it at home right? and not have to go to Atlanta for five months and be away from what he really cared about, which was his son. Right. So uh, just a fortuitous moment where my business, my original business partner, Alex, he, uh, he's a successful entrepreneur. He started a company called Omnimount many years ago. And his, I think it was his first investor, his first investor's son was just so happened to be living in the house that Roger rented uh, oh, next wow. the next door to okay. to, the, to this kid. Uh, so one day, uh, Roger was I think out in the driveway, and this guy just walked over to Roger and was like, "Hey, my dad's buddy is working on this remote software." And Roger's like, "No way, <laughs> like no way." So uh, three days later, we had a demo, and um, he was blown away. And this was and by the way, too. I mean, maybe two weeks prior to that demo, we actually, that was the first time we got a solid stream. Like a okay. stream where I'm like, okay, that looks good. That looks really good. What, what year is this? Put, so, put, that, so that would be, timeline uh, so that was 2000 in like late 2017. Okay. Yeah, almost 2018. Okay. So you're getting your first big break with a big, major film yep. editor. Yep. And and he's like, this is it. He's this like, is what I've been... this is what, not only what I've been hoping for, but also my peers, right? Okay. So he's, so, you know, thinking in the back of his head, he's like, man, if this actually works out, this is something I'd want to really dive into. And so he, I think it was a Warner Brothers and uh, Legendary picture. And so he t- contacted them and they said, listen, we kind of checked it out. It's, you know, it reaches a baseline level of security. I'll tell you what, do it with the director. If the director likes it. You can use it. Yeah. So um, on a Sunday afternoon, and we waited like two months, by the way, for the director to finally find a moment to use right. it with Roger. And Roger was supposed to go to Atlanta in like like 10 days. Yeah. So he calls us up and he's like, guys, this is it. This is the moment. I'm hopping in with them in 30 minutes, right? And this is one because of those. are like cranking up the servers. <laughs> oh, man. Just like, I mean, there are moments where, especially when you're making a piece of technology, whether it's like, a, you know, for a big investor pitch or whatever, there's, there's moments where the software has, has to, to work. work yeah. There's no option. Right. You know all the things that are wrong with it, right? Yeah. And it's like you're just 
you're, it's like judging yourself. You're just like, this is not going to work. There's this wrong and that's wrong. And so, uh, but Roger went for it. And then it was like one hour, nothing, two hours, nothing. Wait, what, what do you mean by nothing? No, like, no response. No, no response. Yeah, like, sorry. No. He's using it possibly, but you don't know. I knew he was, I, we could tell by the AWS servers that he was, because he was our only like, right. user basically, right? So we could tell that a room was being, a Nevercast room was being used. Yeah, right? but you didn't know what, what's going on and you didn't no idea. get in, any feedback. So you're, you're like wondering what the hell is happening. At the, at a, two hours into it, I'm just like, screw it. He just, the director hated it and uh, they're now, abandoned they it. abandoned it and they're on the phone now and Roger's packing up his bags and going to <laughs> Atlanta. <laughs> so um, three hours goes by and all of a sudden, Alex and myself get a text message and, and uh, it says, guys, meet me in my room. I sent you an invite. And so I go and sit at my desk. I click the link and on Evercast, there's like a there's a pre room. So before you go live, you can check your hair, check your mic. You know, like a typical video right. conference, I think. Um, and I'm like sitting there, uh, my finger is like shaking, and I'm about to click the the go live button. And I'm like, well, this is a this is one of those moments where this is going to be a very uh, pivotal, significant moment, or in either direction actually. So yeah. it's going to be really good or really bad. And we go in, and he's got this look on his face, and I'm like, it doesn't look like bad, but it doesn't look good. And he goes, guys. It was a home run. Nice. He loved it. Nice. He loved it so much that he told me I can stay in Santa Monica and cut the film. That's awesome. So for the next few months, they, you know, while the director was in Atlanta, they used it every day for hours. They would use it in the morning before the director started shooting. They would use it wow. in the evening when the director went home um, after having dinner and stuff, you know, and it allowed the director at his own time yeah. to just hop into the room with Evercast or to hop into the Evercast room with Roger and just do their thing right and so um that went on for like four or five months the project ended well okay before yeah. you go before you say that sure. went on for four or five months your thinking is that we got roger this is going to be the thing that opens up the floodgates and we're going to start getting 100 percent. and and then next months yeah like not not much had changed well because the one thing i didn't i didn't account for was the change of habit right you know, people was, are doing this in person. Yep. Like no one's. They're changing. either doing it in person or they're using other types of software that aren't real time. They're more. They're all. They're all file based. Right. Um. Where they'll upload a file, the director will review the file at that their own time, and then they go back and leave notes, and then the editor goes and executes on the notes. Again, everything that I was trying to solve. Yeah. With uh, my pre- previous company, they just they're just they are used to it. That's just right. what they do. And so I didn't account for that. And so Roger, uh, you know, has a successful session, uses it for five months, and then he ends up taking nine months off of professional editing to go and put his name on the line and introduce it to all the influential uh, studio execs and um, directors and stuff, right? So – that's a huge break. That was a big break, you know, and that's – this will lead up to the COVID story, right? Because this is is an important part of it. So – um, so he started introducing it. We were doing lots of demos. I was oftentimes hopping on a Southwest flight and going to L.A. for a few days every week um, because him and I were kind of like tag teaming it together while Alex, the uh, other founder, was back in Phoenix taking care of like the investment side of stuff. And him and I were tag teaming that. So I was kind of I was bouncing between trying to pitch it to studios and then also raising capital. Yeah. And so what happened was, is um, you know, we ended up getting a lot of interest, like a lot of uh, interest in the fact that people understood the value that it could bring. You know, it's the value of, listen, a director lives in Malibu. I mean, you don't, it doesn't have to be 
oceans apart, right? Right. It's the director living in Malibu. The cutting room is in Burbank. That's a 90-minute drive yeah. each uh, way. L.A., a five-mile commute could be a, a hour uh, totally. commute, essentially. Yeah. So that's yeah. three hours of time that the director could have back just in their own personal life or put that time towards the actual project, right? right. So they, every, I think everyone really understood the value proposition. But again, it's the habits. Oh, it is just the habits. It's it's like, you know, I mean, I use I'm a G Suite user. Our whole company's on Google, uh, the workspaces. Right. And, and there might be something out there that's so much better than Gmail. And it's just that you get caught in your habits and you just it takes yeah. a, it takes something to happen for you to go and try something new. Right. Right. Um, one more break that we because you've already solved that problem. You don't want to resolve no. the problem that you've already solved. That's exactly. Even yeah. though you solved the problem, but now you have a thing where the problem that you solved isn't efficient as as it could be, and right. that when you add more efficiency to things like this, it actually ends up benefiting the product in the end right. and your own health, like your own just mental sanity, right? Yeah. So. Um, so we were doing it, getting lots of interest, but the studios actually, I think, were more supportive of it than especially the directors. Okay. Directors are notorious for just being like, I have a certain way of doing things. This is how I do it. Yeah. Don't want to touch it, right? Creatives. They're very difficult to work they're very, with. They can be very difficult to work with. Okay. And, and, um, but they're also amazing people. They're, so. oh, they're, no, and that's, that's, you know, we'll get into that too. But, I mean, everyone who I've interacted with in the industry, you know, the biggest directors and so forth um, and the biggest actors, most of them, honestly, are just awesome. Like, they're right. really cool down-to-earth people. You got a few who are outliers that you don't really want to have a conversation with. But for the most part, everyone's really neat. But so we had two big breaks before COVID that I actually think contributed to, to what happened after COVID, right? right? So we the first one was, do you remember the show Chernobyl on HBO, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, we didn't even know this. We knew they were our customer. They were one of our first customers. And at the time, we had no idea. But they basically had a team. I think the, the, the director was in New York, the writer, Craig Mazin, who's a well-known writer, he was in um, L.A. The editorial team was in the U.K. I don't know. The VFX team was somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. And we had no idea, but they literally made the entire miniseries through Evercast remotely. Wow. No one really ever sat with each other. They did the whole thing remotely, even like the sound mixing and stuff for, this, right. for the soundtrack. So when we found that out, and then the, the only – the reason how we found that out is because Craig – I think it was his podcast or he was on a podcast, but he's like, hey, I'd like to give a shout out to the software that we use to make the show called Evercast. What an amazing, like yeah. that must have made you guys feel oh. like just oh. everything is worth it. Oh. All the pain, like, oh, suffering. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. But, but back to, the, uh, back to what my earlier statement, which is that, you know, there are, there are times there's things that you think are going to be the thing that like catapults you, right? Right. Still the same issue where it's just, yeah, he had a success with it. Right. And again, every creative has a different tolerance level of change, right? Some of them are maybe more progressive than others, right? So we just happened to find the one director, writer, producer who was very progressive and looking for something like this. So for him, it worked out. Um, Not to mention, like, Chernobyl was such a great show. Oh, man. You're like, oh. we're going to be able to coast on the tail. Oh, yeah. Of this thing. And you have no idea how, <laughs> how amazing it felt, like, watching the miniseries going, I. Me and my small team had we, a part in this. We had a, a yeah, it was actually a, a very serious part in yeah. it, right? So that was that all that whole thing was really cool. Um, but again, same problem. People just aren't changing. Um, another one who, who seemed to be really progressive on it was um, a Tom Cruise. Okay. So they started using it at the beginning of the when they started filming the new Top Gun, which hasn't been released yet. Um, and then they same thing. They pretty much made the, the bulk of the movie all through Evercast, you know. Wow. Um, and so, and being a young kid, 
when I was a young kid, Top Gun was my my favorite movie, right? Yeah. I, I dressed up as Maverick for uh, Halloween, and I still have a picture. I actually sent it to the production team. I had the jacket, the glasses, and everything. Yeah. But um, that's awesome. So I was really proud of that. That that like a movie that I grew up with as a kid, the sequel, thirty years later, or whatever it was. All of a sudden, is now my software has played a massive role in making this blockbuster movie. Um, so, um, so yeah, so we were getting some you know big wins like that, but still going up against that current of just old habits die hard. Yeah. But what happened was, is all those two years of just struggling so bad, and you know all the travel and all the uh, the studio executive meetings and director meetings and the, the just so many things that had to happen, and it wasn't producing quite the results that we were hoping for. But if we didn't do those things, if we didn't take the time, if we didn't keep the company alive during that very crucial part, when COVID hit, no one would have ever known about us. Right. Luck favors the prepared. And you guys were like the most prepared right yeah. at the moment that it mattered most. Absolutely. So when COVID hit, and I will never forget the day, it was it was March 8th. March 8th, I don't remember what day it was, but we walked into the office and, you know, we were looking at, we use HubSpot for our, our CRM, right? And so when I'm looking at HubSpot, I'm like, man, that's a big spike in, uh, in like inbound traffic and inbound leads. And now we have all the contact sales are starting to come in, right? And by March 12th, it just became this flood of onboardings. Wow. And all that time we spent when COVID hit, everyone in the industry was like, oh, what do we do? Yeah, well, and what was Roger that? has been putting that, the the word out about oh, your software, and like the, the abs- Chernobyl people are putting abs- out the word about your software. Little, just all these little things added up. So when COVID hit, it was like, what was that? That ever something ever that crazy software that yeah. Roger was talking about or yeah, whoever. Yeah. People, <laughs> people, what's Overcast? Overcast, I think it was called, right? No, 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 it's Evercast. <laughs> it's but yeah. So that all that time leading up to that, when COVID hit, people in the industry at least heard of us, right? And the space shuttle took off. That's and it was just amazing. an absolute flood. And, I'll, you know, looking back on it now, and, I, you know, when you're caught in these crazy moments, whether it's this, the extreme struggle or this extreme explosion of business, right, I'm trying, like, especially now, I'm trying to do a better job of um, just being a little bit more present and appreciating the journey more. Right. Because now when I look back on the struggle that we had leading up to COVID, I appreciate the hell out of it because it turned me into a different person. It, right. I'm a different business person. I now, I, I'm light years smarter than I was uh, from my previous company, especially when it comes to business and stuff. Um, so I wish I would have maybe appreciated that journey a little bit more while I was in it. And it was the same well, you're thing. you're still in it. Yeah, I'm so. still in it. Oh, yeah. But I'm I mean, just trying but, to now. Better late than never. I mean, like, it, you, I mean, it, it's it's funny. That old adage of it's the journey, not the destination is so true. hundred percent. And sometimes, especially when you're not experienced with that, and this goes out to, like, younger entrepreneurs, right? Like, it's so easy to get caught up in the hustle and the craziness of what it takes to even have a shot. Yeah. The slightest shot of doing something successful, right? That um, I just really like looking back on that blow up moment. You know, it was just, it was basically me, Roger, Alex. We had like Tyrell, uh, Emily, Todd, Robert. Just a very few amount of people. Marcy came in, who was our CMO. Um, you know, and then we had like maybe four devs, three three devs, I think, or something. It was ridiculous. Right. It was under ten people in the company. And the fact that we all somehow onboarded. I don't remember how many. It was, it was so many. I mean, I'll never forget, like, 
uh, Tyrell, who was our first employee. Tyrell is sitting there uh, onboarding people and teaching them how to use the software. I'm both onboarding and doing tech support because I had the most experience with all the issues that come up when you do a thing like this. And so, and then Alex was pacing back and forth in the office trying to take phone calls and handle That's the awesome. sales. And Marcy was trying to take all the sales calls and stuff. And, you know, uh, just everyone who was involved at that at that time was, I'm just, I, I, I love you guys, and I just—it's amazing to to go through that experience with these people, right? And come out on the other end, and especially with the technology side of things. So not only did we did we handle it from like an administrative side of things, but the fact that we built something that you always, when you build technology, you always intend for it to be scalable because that's ultimately what your goal is. But you don't really know whether something's going to actually scale scale or not. So I wouldn't say that our platform was built. Uh, the best because there was lots of we had lots of technical debt. We were kind of learning as we went, kind of thing, right? Especially when you're building something that's a little more R and D ish like this. You don't really know if you're doing it fully right or or you know, whatever. So, so There's we no best practices because no, no one's best done practices. Yep, yeah, that's exact. We're doing lots of things that no one's done before. So um, the fact that the platform held up with the increase in business that it had. Uh, is truly amazing. It's a, it's it's just short of a miracle. Actually. That's awesome. Like the fact that we didn't find that one, you know, two hundred customers was fine. Two hundred and one, bam, <laughs> all of them collapse. All of them collapse. Um, and I'll never forget talking about collapsing. You know, we did have a few outages, not as many as you think we would have, but there was one outage in particular. I was in LA. I was at Roger's house, and that was actually one of the nice things is that throughout all that time that I was traveling to LA he gave me a, a bedroom at his house. And so I didn't have to like stay at hotels. That made that was definitely uh, amazing because I didn't have to deal with the whole hotel thing. Right. And I was at his house. We had a major outage, something. I don't know exactly what happened, but long story short, it was down for two hours. So another way to realize how important your software is is when it goes down. And, and you happen to be at the home of the uh, film editor. <laughs> of the guy who put his ass on the line for us. Uh, oh, I mean, I was, I, it was so bad. I mean, you know, directors are super angry and obviously when the director gets angry, the producers get angry, you know, yeah. and if they're not angry at you, right. I, te- I took it much, I took it as a compliment. But it's this unknown of like, when is this thing going to be back up? Totally. Everyone's basically worthless until it is. Totally. Right? And imagine, so like, yeah, we, you know, Slack can go down, Gmail can go down. It's an inconvenience, but it's not going to like ruin your day. You know, you can get around without it for a while. Right. But when you're using something like Evercast, where literally it is the, it is the work tool that a team is using to create something like a movie, you are disrupting creativity. Right. You are disrupting. They literally can't. They have to stop. The editor, they're, they're, it just puts them at a complete stop until it works again. So, I mean, it was, I was, it was terrifying, but it was also, I, that was a moment where I realized that we, and this is before COVID. Okay. This is a, that was the moment where I realized that, you know what, we're, we have, we, we something. have something here. We definitely have but something. At, at this point, were you guys cash flow positive? Like, what, what, what was the sort of financial aspect of this? So take yeah. us back to like February of 2020. Is the financial aspects of the company such that you're like, okay, we've made it over the hurdle. We're close to a million dollars or at a million dollars of ARR. We're paying our expenses. We're going to survive and live through. Or were you guys, st- or was that still a question? Um, we were doing, if I remember correctly, it was like forty-five or zero. F- uh, so actually, come to think of it, we were doing much less than. Now that I'm putting the numbers in my head, we were doing much less than a million um, run rate. 
Okay. We were probably more like at seventy five thousand, or uh, no more. I'm sorry, less than that. We were at fifty five thousand a month, I think. Okay, give or take. In February of twenty twenty. February of twenty twenty. So you're not paying for all of your expenses through revenue yet. Oh no. Okay, so so. Oh no. It's it's taken four years to get to fifty five. Is the notion that like uh, like you guys might have to either do another raise or like shut down? Like what wh- what are the discussions within the sort of founding team you, you have two co-founders you said so yeah we well technically we had uh we had four total we had one founder early on who uh for personal reasons had to kind of disconnect from the project he's still um best friends with him blake Three shout out to blake um <laughs> but you know blake, blake it was basically start off with me blake and alex okay um blake had a kind of step away still roger, has a, roger of, came in roger came in um and roger wasn't made co-founder initially okay but you know once we started seeing what he was doing and how he was you know helping the cause right it just made sense right that when he's going into these studios he and the fact that he was our at the time he was our second largest investor too okay right put in like a half a million bucks and so he was it just made sense that it would give him more credibility if he was walking into the studios and saying hey i mean i help make this company exactly exactly because it's all especially in the walled garden of hollywood it's all about trust right so um that definitely he des- he deserved it he's a he's a huge reason why we are here and um so yeah so there was four of us initially um, but now it's pr- primarily just the, the three of us. Okay. So yeah. three of you in February, what are those discussions of fre- February 2020 yep. pre- yeah. COVID? What are, are you guys still like, how should we do this thing? Should oh my we go gosh. R- raise around? What, like, yeah. what, what is the discussion? I mean, then? we're trying to figure out, you know, that's, I think the biggest challenge that any entrepreneur will have to, any entrepreneur has to face is you're oftentimes tested in how much you believe in what you're doing. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that, you know, when you've raised now three or four million bucks and you're still not getting that lift that you really need, to qu- you know, which means you're not getting the validation that you need, which means that are you really creating something that people want? And at the same time, when you go in front of investors, you have to put on the face of, you know, hey, everything is perfectly fine. And, <laughs> you know, that's one of the things that especially now that I look back on it and into the future when, you know, I am now uh, – crossing over to the being on, being on the other side of the table, right? Where I, I would like to start being an investor at some point into startups. Um, um, you start having, you, you start questioning yourself, like, am I stealing money from this person? Mm. Do I believe in this this much where I, I, I'm going to go and ask for money from this person, even though I know all the, sh- all the things that are going wrong and what's not happening and, you know, and you're... It's, when you raise capital, it's an interesting balance, right? Because on one hand, you don't want to lie. I don't believe in lying. Right. But on the other hand, you can't be 100% truthful either. Otherwise, people just don't invest. You have to be an optimist. An optimist. That's exactly right. Yeah. So there's a very – but it is a very fine line, right? So right. um so yeah, so we were just we were getting at those moments where it was – we something's got to happen here because just from a – mental health standpoint, there's no way I can continue with this uncertainty. Um, I've dealt, I've dealt with uncertainty for such a long time, but you know, when you've got everything leveraged to the max right. credit cards, I mean, I was personally guaranteeing the credit cards and personally guaranteeing, like we were in, in seeing, you know, we were, we were owing people money and anytime we would raise like 50 K here or hundred K there, we're just basically using it to pay down Some people that debt. we owe. Exactly. So it's just, you are going to, if you choose to be an entrepreneur and you go through with it and you start 
uh, having some success, just because the success isn't in the form of necessarily the revenue you're looking for, I think an indicator of potential success is when you're when the the universe or whatever starts testing you. It's like, okay, you want this? Well, how bad do you want it? Because now you're gonna have you have to continue raising the fuel for your company, which is capital. But at the same time, you're doubting it, aren't you? Oh yeah, right. you're doubting it. And so it's like this, it's just this very, it's an internal struggle. I mean, I don't know if other people have gone through this. I, me personally, just as I'm speaking from my own experiences, yeah. right? Um, it's that struggle of sitting in front of someone and really looking deep within and going, I still believe in what we're creating. Therefore, I can justify sitting in front of this person, be optimistic, continue forward and try to raise the capital, right? So we were, but we were definitely... We were getting to that point where it was something would have to break. Otherwise, we'd maybe go and talk to like, – try to find a partner or something or, you know, you don't always have to completely fold up shop right away. But yeah. we were starting to be entertain some creative options. Um, right. And then it happened and it completely changed. Overnight. Overnight. And, and yeah. like what – so fast forward to mid-March, you guys are like – trying to stay like uh, uh, on top of all the inbound inquiries that you're getting was that moment like oh this is this is the turnaround point did, did you guys realize that this is happening and it's really going to propel evercast or were you just sort of like oh this might be a one week thing or what were your thoughts back then I think the moment that Arizona shut down um, was the moment that I realized that like this was going to be a a thing that was going to go on for a while. Now, there was still uncertainty behind, like, how long? And, how long? And if this. But, but t- it, it provided an opportunity for people to sit back and reevaluate their processes. And that's what sort of that's you, exactly you right. were excited about. That's, because this is like when people are going to reevaluate hey, am I doing things the most efficient way? Yep. Uh, anyway, even if I can go back to work in two weeks, do I want to be using in person meetings as opposed to. Uh, using Evercast. That's which, right. Well, yeah. and even the studios. The studios have been resisting the cloud, right? I mean, like, take right. remote collaboration, just put it aside a second. They've been resisting the cloud in the sense that, you know, all their assets, an asset being like when, um, everything good? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <we're, laughs> oh, cool. That's okay. Um, um, an asset being something that when you when you film all this footage, you have assets or video files, basically, right? Yeah. And, uh up until basically COVID, most of those files were always living on local hard drives at the editor's workstation or in a right. server room at the studio, right? So um, they resist they resisted the cloud for quite a long time because just all the security implications. It's one thing to do like this like live streaming thing that we do. It's another thing when you start uploading actual assets to the cloud. Yeah. If that cloud gets compromised, you know, you're getting the next movie. Yeah. Right? So – they resisted it and resisted it, and then um, all of a sudden, obviously, COVID hit, and they were forced to not only find solutions like ours to do the actual collaborating part of it, but also, how do you get storing the assets, everything. the storing, and where do you put all the assets and stuff? So, I mean, basically, two things ended up happening. You had some studios that were already working on cloud initiatives, so they just went full force with that, you know? Yep. And then you had other studios that weren't full for, that weren't really proactive on that before COVID, so they were literally shipping up, securing hard drives, <laughs> and escorting them over to the editor's house wow and the third option was is they would uh you know they would have a pc at the studio and the editor was remote controlling it um through like a remote control type of service right Right. 
Um, and there are some really good ones now too uh, that are different than TeamViewer or anything like that. I mean, like ones that are super low latency. It, it pretty much feels like you're right there on the machine. Uh, yeah. So that was pretty much the three choices. And so yeah. So they were they were forced into um, adopting this new cloud thing. And then what happened was, I think for me. So, you know, as we're having this explosion, I will say 90 days goes by, and it's not stopping. It just keeps going, right? And, you know, you're, all of a sudden, all the VCs are reaching out, and we're talking to all of them, and they're just saying, you know, you're COVID-preferred. You're a COVID-preferred <laughs> in, uh, investment. However, are you COVID-lifted, which basically is a negative, which means that when COVID goes away, are you going to go away, right? right. Like all this demand is going to go away because now COVID is not a thing and people are back to in person. That's that's exactly right. And what you know, the what the what they what we weren't what they weren't seeing is that we were talking to like the studio executives and stuff, and you know, and not only that, but more importantly, we were talking to the creatives very carefully, right? And trying to get like an unbiased, like like what do you how do you feel about this, right? And is this a band aid or do you feel like this is better? Exactly. Right? And like, that's the big difference. If it's a Band-Aid, when COVID goes away, well, you rip off the Band-Aid because now you're healed. You go ex- back to work. That's exactly but right. But if it, this is better, then you're going to keep it. You're going to keep it. Right. And unanimously, what we, what we got back, the feedback we were getting back was, I can't wait for this to end. COVID. COVID. Yeah. I can't wait to sometimes go back in, but this will not be leaving our workflow because... That means that if the producer can't come in for a day, they're not going to lose any time. They can hop in. They could be sick in their pajamas and hop in. Or again, the director example. The direct. This is the biggest example where right. the directors oftentimes do not live close to like Burbank or or Studio City or where all the, the actions happen. Right. Um, so the director can live in Malibu. The director can live in Santa Barbara. And, and these just, are highly successful people whose time commitments are extremely. Oh like, my gosh! I mean, that, the time is the one thing that you don't have enough of. You don't, right? ha- like, you don't have enough of it. And I think that's the that's the thing that COVID pointed out the most for everyone. Yeah. So, as anyone who's like traveled in LA traffic for three hours and stuff like I'm not that. Sure. What's going on with this? That uh, the, Go- the GoPro, GoPro is. Getting too hot. Is it? Okay, I'm gonna turn it off real quick. No worries. What's going on, GoPro? <laughs> Speaking of when we need it, we find yeah, out. yeah, exactly. All Sorry. right. All so, right. Hey, sorry, happens. sorry about that. I, I've seen it happen on set too. Uh, I mean, we still have two other camera angles, so we're perfect. We're good. Perfect. We're good. Hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so we were we you know it, there's time is something you can't get back and you know outside of Hollywood, just talking to people in general who don't work in the business, just people who are just using Zoom and stuff. I think, yeah, Zoom fatigue is one thing, but no one is in a rush to get back to sitting in uh, on the 101 or the 405 in L.A. and sit there for an hour to an hour and a half just to get to work and then another hour and a half back. I mean, sometimes you have to do that, but you don't – with the type of technology that we have now between Evercast and Zoom and Skype and everything else, right, you don't have to do it all the time. Right. And it's not like an imperative where you have to go in, right? So I think – what I'm hoping comes out of this, not just for you know the industry that we serve and the creatives that we serve, but just the world in general, is that time is important. It's right. the only thing you can't get back. Right. So use it wisely. And yeah. sitting in traffic is not using it wisely. Yeah. Not not just personally because it's your time, but also like a company. I would rather like me personally. We, we were remote first before we even going into COVID. So when COVID hit, it was a struggle. But it's like I, I like the fact that we're all remote. I like the fact that hey, a person can come in if they want, or they can stay at home. They still get the job done as long as you have your KPIs in place and you know what that person's role is, and everyone knows what that role is and stuff. There's things that you can do 
they're just the people are just happier honestly yeah. they're they're happier so um but for me even with all that stuff and what people were saying about us and that they were you know we we're going to this is going to be a part of our workflow forever what the first time i saw this is what really hit me and that was we were reading an article what we are starting to find and we started to see this like in july or august was a lot of articles where they were referring to evercast like they would refer to zoom mm. not they don't link out to us it's like they're interviewing a director or yeah. something and it's just like oh yeah so we, you know we used evercast for blah 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 right. but just like as a it's oh, like an afterthought. Like an afterthought. Obviously, oh, yeah, yeah. everyone uses Evercast. Yeah, yeah right? I, I, I'm Zooming with my grandma. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when I started seeing not just one, but many articles popping up like that, I was like, okay. That's awesome. That is pretty What a great feeling. Yeah, huh? Oh, geez. Like it's like, but then, well, it's funny. Like if there's a moment where you stop and you, you get that like sigh of relief, right? And then all of a sudden it's scale time. It's, yeah. you know, now you had to deal with all the things that are related to scale. You want to keep scaling. You're trying to capture more market share. Um, you're trying to uh, just evolve the product, make the product better and better and better. So you just, you know, you, you so, go from one challenge to another. So you're one year later, you're past 10 million ARR. You just did a round that yep. you closed. Yep. Um, I, I wasn't able to get in on yep. it, but yep. uh, that, hey, but, but that, that's okay. I still wish you guys the most I success. That's awesome. Appreciate that. Thank you. Um, how, how much did you guys raise? Four. Four million. Four million in a safe. Okay, and uh, pretty nice valuation, I, I presume. Can you well, d- discuss yeah, I can, it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't mind yeah, talking about yeah. it. Yeah, so for any, for any of you that don't know what a safe is, it's a simple agreement for future equity, right? Okay. It's a kind of a fancy convertible note that came out of Silicon Valley. And pretty much what it is is that we don't know what we're worth yet. Yep. And we're not claiming to. It keeps going up every day, honestly, as all these big enterprise deals that we're closing and our revenue is going up, right? So what it is is that... It allows you to bring in cash where there is a cap or a discount, depending on what happens. So if you raise, like if we go out and raise capital from a big you know, growth equity firm or VC firm in the future, and let's say we go out and we raise a 10, or $20 million at a $100 million valuation, let's just say, right? Yep. The safe cap is at, was at $50 million. Okay. Right? Which means that they, that's a sweet deal. Yeah. That's going to convert at 50 while they're converting, while they're, while they're getting equity at $100 million, right? Right. On the opposite side, if for some reason we're not able to raise capital at a higher valuation and we end up raising capital below a $50 million valuation, then they get a 10% discount from that, from that whatever that valuation is. So it's gotcha. kind of like a, you know, it's it's a way to just kind of sit and wait and see what happens, yeah. but also pull in capital. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And it's not on our books as debt. Congratulations. And that round is closed? Or? Yep, it's, yeah, it's closed. And uh, we are, you know, we brought in some pretty influential people Brought in a big YouTuber. Okay. Um, brought in, uh, you know. Can just, you say the YouTuber? I, can, I can't. Uh, yeah, no? that's. Okay. I would love to, but I, I can't. <laughs> but but I will say that the reason why, the reason why he invested is the same reason he he saw what the problem that we're solving for the prosumer market, like the yeah. YouTuber market and the the indie market and stuff. It's the same problem that we're solving for um, Hollywood. Maybe if anything, more. Right. I mean, yeah. the fact that. But that he basically spends a lot of time coaching um, up and coming YouTubers, and part of the coaching process is saying, "Listen, you can't edit your stuff. You have to be with the one focused on creating the content. While you hire editors anywhere in the world, and you use a you can use a piece of software like Evercast to connect you to those talent, right? So, right. And, that, and back to the Hollywood thing too. I'll never forget when we had a, I can't say the name of the show, but a big TV show who was leveraging 
editors – it's a children's show. Editing uh, – uh, editors uh, – sorry, leveraging editors in like Jordan. Wow. Super talented editors in Jordan who would, who would have never had the opportunity – to work on a big production like that, right? What does Eric enable you to do? It just it didn't matter. That's awesome. So um so yeah so I mean we're you know that's that's the reason why he came in and we've so we, we've got out of all the rounds we've done we've raised now a little over ten million dollars since two thousand and fifteen. Okay. Um, but all the um, all the money that came in in this last round is pretty influential. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. Congratulations yeah. on that. that. Yeah, thanks. That's it was, awesome. It was it, it, it was nice to have it done in like three weeks. Yeah. I mean, like, first of all, this is like the, I can't think of a better example. And by the way, your revenue growth starting with a million dollars might be the largest revenue growth of any company in Arizona that I know about. It might be. Like a thousand percent is pretty, like, people are happy with, you know, 30% revenue growth year over year, right? A thousand percent. That's pretty nuts. It's crazy to think that way. And it's crazy to think that, you know, I, I love, I love Arizona. I love living here. And I wish there was, and there's some good tech stuff going on here, but I don't think it gets the credit that it deserves. Yeah. Um, but it's neat I knowing that. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Way, which is why I'm I'm doing this. No, this is that's why I'm like <laughs> this is I have to be on this show. This is amazing because I, uh, you know, me and uh, one of my one of my great employees, Tyrell, him and I always talk about how you know we want to be a part of the Silicon Desert, right? This is there's so much there's so many reasons to live here, and there's so many reasons to start a, a business here. Um, I mean, you can see all the Californians yeah. flocking in now, right? But um, but it, there's just so many reasons to, to to be in business here. The talent's really great, but it doesn't matter because now the talent is all over the world, so you right. can leverage that, right? Um, it's the quality of living now. The quality of living's amazing here. And to be you honest with you- Great weather, no disasters. Nope. You know, like, it's, it's truly incredible. And um, the fact that like, it's amazing how I, you're right. I mean, Evercast may be one of the fastest growing companies in Phoenix that no one knows about. Right. And we're on this, we're in this little tiny office. You know, I, I, had, in, I had never heard of you guys until, I, I, I think after the announcement is when Terrell uh, yeah. pinged Oh, that's me. right. He's, yeah. he's the one I got a hold of you. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's cool that we're kind of stealth, but I do want to start getting out there more because I do want to encourage more um entrepreneurship and you know tech especially in the tech side of things uh in phoenix like i'm all about it i think it's like i just think i i hope to see it more yeah so that's what i was going to say is like this is the most perfect example of uh luck favoring the prepared i mean there's like so much preparation and hard work to get you guys to where you were in march of 2020 for the luck aspect which you had no idea would would just hit but you've been an entrepreneur for 20 years you mentioned you've had failures Like what? What do you? Which one of those failures do you want to talk about, <laughs> or which one of the companies do you want to talk about that like um, maybe taught you the most? So two in particular. Um, the first one was the one of the was the very first company I started, which was a company called Singles Depot, and I, you know, I had an idea for a singles website. And one of the ideas I had as part of the singles website was a um, a thing called V Photo, where basically you would leverage the Walgreens passport photos okay as a way of like a notarized getting a notarized picture of yourself and any profile that had this like notarized v photo would be more elevated and people would have more interest in it because they would know that okay this person's not uploading a photo that was from high school you know because that was a big problem back then as people just uploading pictures that were 10 years old and that's not the person that they are now right okay and so 
I, I don't remember how I did it, but I've always been good at like talking to people. Right? That's been like one of my specialties. I, when I graduated high school, I didn't even go to college. I went and, and worked. I got certified by Microsoft to be an instructor. I think at the time I was the youngest Microsoft instructor in the world at 19, and I was teaching classes. On what? Um, uh, like MCSC, like network um, administrating yeah. and security. I had an MCSE certification. There as you well. go. Yeah. So I was an MCSC and <laughs> I was funny. an I was an MCT, so Microsoft certified trainer. trainer yeah. yeah. And so I was teaching at, uh, uh, I think the company was called Executive Train, or ExecuTrain, I think yeah. it was called. And yeah. so I got a, I mean, I was 19 and just killing it, like making great money. And um, so, uh, yeah, so that was, I've always been really good at just getting up in front of people and talking. So I somehow got a, got a hold of someone at Walgreens, which led to me, and I li- by the way, I lived in Illinois at the time because I grew up in Chicago. So it led to me going to the Walgreens headquarters, which is in Chicago, giving a pitch, and they loved it. Okay. What was the pitch? The pitch was, hey, um, singles, the singles market is uh, – the online singles market is ginormous, even back then. What year is this? This would be 2002, okay. I think. Yeah. Cause, yeah, because – yes, it had to be 2002. So it's 2002. Singles market is ginormous, and, but there's a, there's a problem – I think I have a way where it's a ge- it's a revenue generating thing for Walgreens. It's another thing that they can generate revenue from by leveraging an already existing uh, infrastructure that they already have, which is passport photos. Okay. And um, so I went back three times and met with I don't like, I've, I'm, I'm, different executives every time, right? And that third, I think it was the third meeting where I walked out into the parking lot, and I so vividly remember this, thinking. I'm 22 years old. I'm going to be a millionaire. <laughs> this was easy. Right. <laughs> like, I, yeah, you know? And um, I'll never forget that literally a day later, they called me up and said their legal team shot it down. <laughs> and, and that just crushed your, your oh, like, and that millionaire just, status. Oh, man, I thought I thought I had it. I'm like, man, this this entrepreneur stuff's easy. What the, what is everyone talking about, you know? And right. um so yeah, so it it didn't work out, and it was just one of those moments where I look back on it now and go, man, Brad, you still have like eighteen years left to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you were talking to yourself at twenty two, but you know, here, here's the funny thing is that if they hadn't shut it down, you could have potentially become a millionaire overnight. Oh sure, and, Sh- and sure, but and, I and I think like th- this is what is kind of amazing because based on sheer like the number of experimentations that are happening in the world, right? There's like a lot of those 22-year-old brads that, you know, like um, the vast majority of them are not becoming millionaires. Sure, sure. But there's a few that are. And what happens to some of those people is they think, oh, my hard work and genius and thinking and like my perseverance allowed me to become this sort of like super wealthy person or like my my success is self-made. And I think that... Yes, it's self-made, but it's dismissing and discounting the luck factor. The fact that those that lawyer didn't shut it down or, you, you know, in your case, they did sh- shut it down or whatever, right? Well, like, I mean, it's like the old saying, some people do step in SH, explanation mark, explanation right. mark, right? So it's like, yeah, I mean, so there are times where, hey, you do get lucky for sure. Yeah. People win the lotto. It happens, you know? But I think, you know, back to the success thing, being an entrepreneur isn't about being a millionaire. yeah. It's about doing something that you're proud of, one. But two, recalibrating what we look at as success when it comes to an entrepreneur. If you are an entrepreneur 
and you are making enough money to be sustainable, you're a success. You are already yeah. just just doing that. Couldn't agree more. You are a step above everyone else. But let, let me ask you this, though, because, you know, like you were on the verge of essentially this incredible success at 22. Looking yeah. back at it now, are you glad that they sort of shut it down? Oh, my gosh. Yes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because I've, if I would have, if that would have been my moment and it would have been that easy, I would not be, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. I am, I look back at how naive I was back then. That's so awesome. And how, you know, how much I didn't know. And now I still don't know everything. I know a lot more. Yeah. But I'm really happy with who I am and how I view the world and how I see just, you know, humankind and stuff. Like I'm just such more, I'm a more well-rounded person that's much wiser than I was, but I still know when to shut up and listen. Yeah, that's so great. Okay, um, so, yeah. well, so sorry to have cut no. you off there, but like yeah. now let's get the rest of the story because yeah. that, that yeah. You, you know, you got crushed and then what do you do next? And Yeah, so then there's like... There's like a, so that was 2002, three. So let's say like I, I, I'm folding Singles Depot. I think it was like 2003. And then I was just doing some really basic stuff. Like I became, uh, I owned like a small web web design company. You know, made, again, a knock on wood, I've been able to make, always make enough money to survive. So yeah. in my, I was in all sense of the things, I was a success in the sense that I didn't have to go out and get a job, right? Okay. So I did like the, the, I did that. I even got involved with a, like a technology company, that was based out of LA. They were doing some really advanced uh, voice controlled navigation stuff. Um, and I, I, because of the experience that I gained doing that um, or doing the, the website stuff. And then, oh, before the, the technology thing, I also tried my, I tried opening a fashion e-commerce store. Okay. Right. Had a great idea. Didn't do too bad. But that e-com experience led me into working with this technology company where I ended up selling, you know, millions of dollars of their nav systems. Okay. That weren't even in like Best Buy or anything like that. I mean, they were like it was a it was a new technology, very cool stuff. Um, made them a lot of money, but they ended up taking a lot of money from me because I was reinvesting back into the company. And this is you know another just one of the lessons you learn. Uh, it's just amazing how when people are dishonest and people are, oh wow, uh, yeah, greed is greed's a, a you know what. And um, so um, that really fell apart. I, I that was my first experience of watching a company implode from the inside purely because of its of the leadership in the company, primarily right. one person, the CEO. So that was really um, that well, was a. Can you say the company or? Um, no, just because okay. there's still yeah. things going on with it. But it was. I mean, they still owe me. They owe my mom. My because my, my mom like invested you know, she, in it. Oh, she took a home equity loan oh out on gosh. her house. Like it was. I just learned. Um, it's just, it's really unfortunate, you know, and it was so not necessary. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, so I learned, I learned a lot from that. And then, um, that pretty much led me into meeting Blake, met Blake and, uh, me and, uh, our, so I actually knew his best friend, uh, Brandon. So Brandon and I became friends here. Brandon moved here from Oregon. We were best, we became great friends. He's like, Hey, you gotta meet this guy, Blake. And Long story short, we ended up starting this company called uh, Creative. Okay. And Creative was the this the idea was it was going to be the social media platform um, for creatives, and that we believe that creativity was one of the very few things in our world that unites humankind versus all the things in our world that want to divide us. Right. <laughs> so, we wanted to create this social media platform, and um, you know, this was the first time 
where I've ever gone out and, and either same with them. We've never I've never raised significant capital in my life. So this is the first time where the million dollar capital mark actually came into play. Right. Um, and so we, you know, Blake knew some people in Oregon and uh, he was a big part in raising the first initial part of that capital. And we raised some serious capital and we went for it. Right. Um, had a great idea and a lot of support behind it. Like beautiful, just seeing like creatives around the world come together and really get behind our mission was incredible. I mean, they were doing one of the most impactful things I think was that there was a, we, we were, we, we started what we called the creative movement and we had like ambassadors in all these countries. And it was in Pakistan where they had a creative like with our, our, it was creative without the E at the end. So it was okay. C-R-E-A-T-I-V.com, right? And it was, they did a whole festival for us. Wow. And all these celebrities from Pakistan came to this art exhibit and these artists came and it was this huge ordeal. And to see that take place was just, uh, it was amazing. And like we would send out these wristbands, these wristbands that said, I am a creative. And we had them translated into, I think it was like 12 or 13 different languages. And we, would, we sent out thousands and thousands of these all around the world and just seeing the love that we were getting. However, we, didn't, we were having a difficult time building the product. And then when we got the product built, we had a, it was all about monetization and stealing timeshare from Facebook, stealing timeshare from Twitter, you know? Yeah. So these are all the things that, again, looking hindsight's twenty twenty. looking back on it now, it's like, okay, yeah, like, you know, looking back on it now, I would have, we would have started a YouTube channel, maybe like a media blog or something, and we probably would have crushed it. Right. But trying right. to go the route of building our own technology and wanting to have our own creative platform, um, that was the mistake. Where everyone's yeah. expecting a free product, essentially, yep. that's ad-supported. Yep. You're not going to be able to compete with Facebook. And- yep. And at the, the, it was near the end of creative when we figured out that we have all this content on our platform. We had, we had a decent amount of content, and we had like 2 million followers on Facebook. But unfortunately, with Facebook and any of you that know that know Facebook, yeah, you have 2 million followers, but they restrict your reach. So right. all that time we spent building, building this that. amazing following on Facebook, it's like having a newsletter where you, have all the, you don't have access to all the email addresses yeah. unless you pay. Right. So, um, so yeah, so we, you know, ultimately speaking, we had, we still had all this content that was coming to us. And so we ended up trying out a magazine, a super, super high quality magazine that we would try to sell at Barnes and Noble. And we took all the best creatives from the platform and would do stories on them in this magazine and then sell it in the, in the store. And, and it, and that's actually when I met Alex, my current, um, business partner. So Alex came in originally as an advisor, a restaurant, Pita Jungle. Oh, we used okay. to always go to Pita Jungle on Shea there. <laughs> and um, one of the servers there, he's like, hey, you know, I love what you're doing at Creative. you got to meet this guy, Alex. He's a, you know inventor. He started a successful company. Maybe he could help you guys like advise or something. And so we met him. Alex and I and Blake, we, we, all three of us immediately hit it off. So Blake and I brought him in as, a, uh, as an advisor. And then he ended up taking on more of an active role because of his experience in building things and doing that type of stuff. So we, he helped us create this magazine where like the the front of the cover was embossed, so like the like we had a panda a panda on one of the um, uh, ep- oh, wait, not episodes issues. issues sorry, and the panda like was embossed, so it popped out of the cover. That's pretty cool. Um, and only one person that I know of in the world could do that, and that's Alex. 
Oh, Alex wow. is just he's just an he's got an engineer's mind. You know the the device that he built many years ago that he uh, the successful company that he owned. Um, you know a widget. He's just really good at doing widgets and stuff. So he 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 knew all the manufacturers in Phoenix to get the magazine done. So he ended up take, playing a major role, and he got us distribution at Barnes and Noble. Wow! And I'll, kind of a quick story was I'll never forget our second magazine came out. And our, by law, you have to have an address in the magazine as, as a place of business. So we had our Ganey Ranch address there because we were also at the Ganey Ranch. I've been at the okay. Ganey for a long time. <laughs> so, um, so this person comes walking into our office and, is, and looking around, I'm like, hey, can, can I help you? And she goes, I just had to come see you guys because this is the most amazing magazine <laughs> I've ever seen. Like the quality, the high quality. The high of quality. The and I couldn't believe it was in Phoenix. So oh, I funny. came from Phoenix. I came down from Tempe. I had to check it out. Um, so and we won like a, a few awards, like big awards too. And you know, and we started monetizing it. But unfortunately, um, and you know, I don't blame them. But our biggest investor, who you know, put in it was quite a bit, like three and a half, four million dollars. He uh, he decided to it was, it was time you know time to cut the cord. Yeah. And he cut the cord, and that was that was you know. At that moment, we had a layoff. I think at the time we had like thirty employees. Um, you know, that was that was a very rough. Just everything, so much learned from that experience. Yeah. Um, and now, what's crazy to me, you know, going full circle, is we went through all that with creative, and now fast forward to present day, twenty twenty one. Here we are, where our mission is creating the best remote collaboration platform for creatives. Right. So, it's in a way we're kind of it's like we found a purpose. Yeah, it's was, and, and that journey required those failures in between yeah, as absolutely, well. The, absolutely, the, the overnight success that happened in the last year required, first of all, four years of yeah, the company. Well, it's like Kevin Hart; he has a shirt that says, "I'm a 15 year overnight success." <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. It's, and it's like the Steve Jobs video. You ever seen the one where he talks about connecting the dots? Yeah, yeah, so the, true. The Stanford speech. The Stanford speech. I love that. Speech. Oh man, I probably watched it a dozen times. Oh yeah, I've had a replay at the at the office. No, That's awesome. <laughs> but, but no, seriously, like it's so true. You connect the dots, and if you again about being wiser, if you're if the wiser you get, and you start you do start connecting the dots, what you realize is that you start recognizing where you're at, and you can't tell the future, but you can start putting patterns together, and you start right. recognizing things, and so. Um, and you start accepting the sort of uh, failures of the now yes. a lot better. Yes. And almost embracing them yes. to some extent. And that's one of the reasons why I love having someone like Alex as my business partner because he is so – he's such a seasoned entrepreneur. Like yeah. the school of hard knocks, man. He's He's been through it, right? He started two successful companies and both of them weren't easy. And it's always great to have him there as a reminder to me because sometimes I forget. Yeah, I get so caught up in especially being the chief operating officer where I'm so busy trying to like bring the company together and make it operate successfully. And I'm, I'm technically also CFO as well. And I get so caught up sometimes in the in the everyday of it. And I start also then the demons in your head, the, the negative demons in your head start start floating around. And I love the fact that he always brings me back to earth with reason and wisdom. Yeah, and so I'm just I'm really you know I'm really thankful to have gone through this experience and having a seasoned guy like Alex on my side, and and he brings to the table some amazing traits, and I bring to the table some incredible traits, and together that's I think what makes us an amazing partnership is because 
you know, he's an he's an older guy, so he he has all this like amazing business experience from the past, along with just being an incredibly smart person. And then there's me, where I have a lot of the the newer knowledge, let's say, so to speak. You know, I'm not I'm not knocking him in any way, but like together combined, yeah, you have different strengths we, essentially, different and weaknesses, strengths. and they balance each other out, which Ex- is fantastic. extremely well. And we never go to bed angry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we were really good at that. We're really good at like you know we don't always agree, and there's we do have some heated arguments occasionally, yeah. not often, but. I'm just always so proud that at the end, then we never, never go to bed mad. We always wake up the next day. We call each other, um, and just it's business awesome. as usual. Yeah. So I'm really happy about the the relationship that I've built with Alex. Yeah, that that's fantastic. Um, so, so many things there. Like some some of the struggles. One of the things you you talked about um, before uh, when when prior to the podcast is is that uh some of those struggles had extreme lows yeah. um and like for founders that are going through some of that um do you want to talk about that yeah okay yeah so because you know like uh we've both known people who've like had these extreme lows to where uh it can feel a little overwhelming yeah and um you, you know it has ended in some cases in tragi- tragedies Tragedy, yeah. uh and, and uh, I know you've had personal experience to some degree with that. Why, why don't you talk a little bit about that and like what that was like, what triggered it and how you cope with it or like how you've gotten good at dealing with it, if you will. So, um, you know, I, okay, so I'll start with um, how I deal with it. How I deal with it now is that kind of whole, the, the whole talk, just talk about time, right? Like we only have so much time. And all of our banks have a different amount of time in it, and eventually they all go to zero, right? Yeah. So I kind of look at way I look at things now is that everything I do right now, honestly, it it only matters in the moment because a hundred years from now, it's it's just it's you know every, so much of our so it's so important to like cherish um, your friends, your family, and stuff like that, and really keep in perspective that even with business, even if you lose and lose a lot of money and stuff like that, at the end of the day. As long as, honestly, as long as you were just honest, it doesn't matter. It's, it, you're going to win and you're going to lose. Money right. comes, money goes, right? So I kind of, tr- I try to have more of that type of attitude. But I've been, I have struggled with, um, I wouldn't necessarily call it depression, but um, I've definitely, I have struggled just, you know, the fear, just the fear of the unknown, you know, the fear. And I don't have kids, you know, but I do have a, a she's my fiance. I've been engaged to her since 2014. Um but, you know, because it's just I, my mind, we haven't I want to be able to have a wedding where I can be present and not be right. worried about like something like some fire that I have to put out, you know. So um, but um, dealing with the uncertainty is very, very, very difficult. And I have seen people struggle so hard. And back when I was really going through the struggle, especially with Evercast, there, it, there were times where it got so bad that I was looking on the Internet and trying to find like stories of just, you know, other entrepreneurs and because so many times when you're going through these struggles you very you oftentimes feel alone yeah like this is like i'm a loser this is only happening to me it seems like every i i look outside i'm in scottsdale i see ferraris and lamborghinis and i go to TechCrunch, and everyone's like raising a hundred million dollars and they're billionaires <laughs> i mean it's like so you have a very so, jaded uh world uh like oh headlines and now it's even it's the worst of all yeah. like seeing like every company is spacking and just doing you know yeah. Uh, 10 million, $10 billion uh, valuations and stuff. So 
Literally, we were just looking at uh, like the SPAC thing is absolutely ridiculous. But but yeah, of course no, it is. No, yeah. I don't want to derail you. No, no, but, but, but it's all part of this like, you know, for younger, for not just younger entrepreneurs, any entrepreneur, you have to um, realize that that's the, uh, that doesn't always happen. And that struggle is part of, you have to realize that struggle is part of the process. You almost have to like learn to love it. You almost have to right. learn to like embrace it. But you also have to find ways to cope with it. And so for me, one of my ways of coping with it was just trying to, on you know, 10 o'clock on a Friday night, looking around the Internet and trying to read other stories um, about people having their own struggles because then it makes you feel less alone. It's like, you know, if you're an alcoholic and you go to um, Alcoholic Anonymous, it's like, okay, I'm with other people. I'm clearly not the only person having this problem. Oh, my gosh, that person's an alcoholic because they had the same issue that I had, right? right. So it's just like it, you start – when you realize that you're not alone and that any problem you've had as an entrepreneur, someone else has, has also gone through it, right? So I definitely was trying to create some type of peace in my mind by looking for stories. And I would like, – there's some great books out there like the, um, Ben Horowitz, who's the yeah. founder of – Hard thing about hard things. That's a great book, by the way. If there's one book any founder oh, should, man. should read, that is the that's book. That's the one. That is yeah. definitely the book. Um, there's actually two books, I'll say, but that one is number one for sure. And that book, this is actually a good segue into this story. So that book was, I actually owe it to that book for overcoming maybe one of the most difficult things that I've had to overcome with Evercast to date. And that was, I think it was like 2018. And we, we owed $350,000 to our developers at uh, the Amex bill. I was borrowing Ro- I was borrowing money from Roger to pay off the Amex bill and it was just it was an absolute nightmare and you know there's a line where people think they're screwed and that's where a lot of people give up actually. Yeah. But that's not actually where you should give up. There's a line where you think you're screwed and then there's a line where you are actually screwed. But there's actually a decent amount of distance between those two lines right. if you're brave enough to go through it, right? Yeah. And so um, what happened was that we were, we, we were at that second line. We had to raise some capital. Otherwise, Evercast was over. And we actually found an investor who said he wanted to come in. After just talking, we talked to all of our existing investors. No one wanted to come in. We found someone. I'll never forget going to my, going to my fiance, Amanda, and telling her, hey, we're, we're, we're good. We're fine. I'm going to be able to pay myself you know, a few grand, and we're good. We can eat and blah, blah, blah. The next day, when the subscription agreement was supposed to come, it never came. And so we called, and they and this guy said, "Well, well I'm I'm bailing. I I, wow. I thought about it. The I'm, it's past my risk threshold. I'm out." And I just got just so sick to my stomach. It was the first time, and I've always I mean I've experienced some extremely stressful things, but this was the first time where I like really I mean I felt like I was going to have a full blown anxiety attack, you know. And so I laid on the couch. My dog comes and lays on my chest, and I'm sitting there. And all that kept going through my mind was that book. And there was a, did you read the book? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So remember the part where he talks about there's always a move to make? Yeah. That's all I kept telling myself. There's, there's, always there's a, always a move. move to make. There's always a move to make. There's got to be a move. And the only thing that hit me was one of our, our biggest investor at the time. He was in for like a half a million dollars. And I even went to hit this guy. I mean, it was like a month ago, a month and a half ago, and asking him, and he's like, no, no, I can't. I got too much stuff going on, but I appreciate it. Good luck, you know? But he was the only one that I knew of that if if there was a chance of saving this company at all, at least he would listen. And so the other challenge was that he was normally in San Diego the, that time of year, and if he wasn't in Phoenix, there was no way I was going to be able to pull at least $350,000 out of this guy, right? right? So I call him up. 
He's actually in Phoenix. I go over to his house, and that 15-minute drive was, it felt like 10 hours. And, you know, I just didn't want, I, I loved the guy so much for just giving us a half a million dollars. I became very close to him as a, just like a, as a friend. Right. You know, he was always there for me. And going over there, back to our early discussion about how, how badly do you really believe in what you're doing? Are you taking money from this? Are you trying to get money from this person because you truly think you have a shot here and that this is something that is going to one day be something? Or are you just delaying the inevitable? Right. You're just, it's not meant to be, right? And half of you thought one, half of you thought the other. That's exactly right. So the approach that I took was instead of, I, I honestly, as I pulled up to his house, I didn't really have an answer to that question. I definitely believed in it, but also when you're just getting beat down to the ground so badly, it's like it's human nature. You just it's hard to believe in something even if you believe in it, right? When yeah. you're, when you're getting beat that bad. So I decided just to be completely honest with him. Told him about like the you know, we talked about the Chernobyl thing and we talked about there you know, we definitely had some wins for right. sure. And you're I'm like, like, here's all the wins. Yeah. But here's like how fucked we are. This is, exactly. Here's how <laughs> fucked we are and it's like if we if I this is this is that second line and if yeah. I don't get at least $350,000 from you right now. It's over. I lose your $500,000. Right. <laughs> and uh, so two hours later, he just looks at me and he goes, you know what, Brad? Um, I never made this investment for your company because I've invested in shitty things that have succeeded and I've invested in great things that have failed. failed there yeah. is no necessarily no rhyme or reason. Yeah. I invested into you. I don't care if you lose the money. He's like, I got so much of it. It's ridiculous. So I'm going to write you a check, not for $350. i am going to write you a check for $400,000. And I want you just to keep doing it. Keep your head down. Because awesome. he himself was a self-made um, success story. You know, his story of struggle, actually the cancer that ultimately ended up taking his life, um, you know, he blamed it on the the stress that he put himself under during the early days of starting his company. And so um, that moment when he took out his checkbook and he was writing the check, I took a picture on my phone to remember that moment. And, you know, to this day, I keep it on the wallpaper on my phone. And this is, you know, so no matter how... Say, say his name. Uh, his name is Rick. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he passed away about a year and a half ago. And I miss him to death, but it's, it's, it's that moment. And I, you know, so when things get tough and things get challenging and stuff, I, it's so easy just to turn on my, my phone and look at Rick and be like, you know, that's, 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 he believed in me and us, but he believed in me uh, specifically enough to write that check when he totally didn't have to, he didn't care about losing the half a million dollars. Right. Right. So that's just always a reminder to keep up the fight. Right. No matter how crazy things get, no matter what happens right now, today, tomorrow, into the future, just keep up the fight and don't ever, ever forget where you come from. So even after Evercast and whatever happens here with Evercast, this will always be a reminder of where I came from and to always just try to be remain – just try to remain as humble as you possibly can. Um, there's what, no what – a, what a, I mean that that is an absolute phenomenal story and like what a great reminder – and that happened what year and a half ago? You said so. That or was two thousand. I think it was like 18. September of eighteen. So, so two, yeah, two years ago. Two years ago. Yep. So, but but like two years later, he's not even with us anymore. Nope. Which is also another reminder that life is so short. Yeah, time. And like yeah. it's it's you know it's about how you live it. It's not about becoming a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever. No, nope. no, nope. like it's, it's 
the pursuit of happiness, if your pursuit of happiness is only money, that's why that's where you see lots how many wealthy people are just, you know, yeah, I mean it's nice to have money, but they're just not happy people. Right. Right? Because what happens is everyone is that and I've seen this, I've been very fortunate where I mean, even though we're obviously experiencing success now, but I've been lucky, you know, through people like my investors, like Rick, you know, Rick had the, the sports cars and he would let me drive them all the time and stuff. And, you know, had a big house and not just him, but many others. I've been very fortunate to experience those things. And I, I never forget, like the moment that I was driving his, he had a Ferrari, brand new one. Like it was the only one in, in Phoenix. It was a, the first one delivered to Phoenix. It was the 458 Spider convertible, okay. right? And I'm sitting on Scottsdale Road by myself. I actually, he asked me to do an errand for him. So I'm like, yeah, I'll go take the car out, right? <laughs> so I'm on Scottsdale Road and I'm sitting there and I've already driven it a bunch of times, right? And I had this weird moment where all of a sudden this $400,000 car that I'm driving just became a car, like literally just a car. Right. And I, it, was a very, it was a weird moment for me because now, you know, all these things that I've experienced, all these things, all these things that you're taught that you have to achieve and you got to get the car, the house and all this type of stuff. Those things eventually just become things, right? Yeah. Like th- it's kind of like, um, you're not taking them with you. You're not taking them with you. And it's like, everything has a honeymoon phase. Yeah. Relationships, houses, everything has a honeymoon phase. And eventually it just becomes part of your everyday life. And so the problem is that if you're basing your happiness around, um, you know, those types of things, if you're fortunate enough to get to the point where you have enough money to experience or own all those things, they they lose their you run thrill. out of things they, to buy. <laughs> exactly, and that's when that's when ultimately money, the acquisition of money, becomes the the pursuit itself because you've already have you already had all the material things. Right. And I was told these things were supposed to make me happy, and all of a sudden, it's not that they'll make me sad, but you, they lose that thrill. That's yeah. the honeymoon phase, right? So um, that's why you have to. You have to find other things in your life that you're proud of and that that you're that that will make you happy. You know ha- that, that brings us full circle back to what you we started the podcast with, which is what uh, uh, when when you create something that other people love and they use and they that, embrace <laughs> and they're like giving you positive feedback. That feeling is is irreplaceable. Like right, yeah. like you'd rather have that than the Ferrari <laughs> any day, right? You know what's I would I would what I would trade over anything. That I that I will have in the future, anything that I have right now, what I would trade over anything is the fact that I knowing that we saved thousands of jobs, that throughout the especially during the core of the pandemic, pandemic, yeah, so many people were not only able to keep working because directly because of us, but thinking of all the hundreds of millions of people who watch Netflix, who watch Hulu, who watch all these all these movies and TV shows, right, right, and that. Those shows were made possible because our software enabled that collaboration to happen and for creativity to continue is the most rewarding thing of yeah. all. Hands down. Hands down. And you'll always have. No one can take that away nope, from you. Nope. That's – Like your money can you know, be gone or whatever yeah, yeah. You know, like, or it might hopefully a hundredfold. Yeah. But the reality is that that is going to stay with you no matter what. I can say now that in the pandemic – I cre- and, and it's something that that will that we'll remember for the rest of our lives, right? Yeah. And hopefully, there's not another one. Hopefully, this is the <laughs> the one lifetime one, right? But that w- I'll look back on this and uh, say, listen, I, regardless of what I have now, I say I, me and that team of people, saved th- thousands of jobs and entertained 
unknown amounts of people during a, an extremely depressing and scary time for humankind. Right. Super proud of that. Super proud of it. Um, yeah, this, it's absolutely crazy. And, you know, and back to the whole struggle thing, too, it's like. I just I like we were talking about we've lost we've lost people that we know to because of the struggle right that, yeah. and it just ain't worth it like don't if you, if any of you out there are an entrepreneur and you're you know you're having um a, if you're having troubles with it and uh you know suicide shouldn't be an option and you you should don't be afraid like I think one of the things that also helps me is that I see a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Actually, a lot of people who are, you know, you ask them how they're doing and they go, especially an entrepreneur, they go, oh, I'm, I'm crushing it. I'm, everything's fine, right? Even though deep down inside, there, things aren't fine. And yeah. actually, Ben talks about it in his book about how it's amazing how all the people who said their, their companies were crushing it and why is it that fast forward 10 years later and I'm the only one that actually survived, right? <laughs> Um, even, is, even, uh, even Francine yesterday was talking about selling, uh, or the, the day before and on the podcast, she was talking about how, yeah, you tell everyone you're crushing it, but in, inside you don't know. You're always, as an entrepreneur, even al- if you're successful, always. you're like worried this thing can collapse at any time. Always, always. And, and you're trying to figure out until the exit, you don't know if you've actually crushed it. You, you know, don't like, know at all. And a, a lot of times you're either, you either are crushing it, but I saw this great little um, animation, and it showed what people think of entrepreneurs. And it shows the uh, this guy pulling a ty- a lion, like owning the lion, basically, right? Okay. How entrepreneurs really feel, and that <laughs> the lion has the entrepreneur in its mouth, right? Like that's one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah, no. So you're always you you you're always doubting, right? Yeah. But it, what I found to be easier is actually to be more honest with people. Where, especially like before the blow up, I, you know, people would ask me how it's going and I would kind of, I wouldn't tell them the whole truth necessarily, but I'd be like, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. We still got some things we have to take care of and blah, blah. Basically not putting this like false expectation on you. It's like you, you, you almost put more pressure on you by faking it. By, by not being yeah. real with people and saying, you know, yeah, actually things maybe aren't good. And, and by the way, being honest about that not only takes pressure off of you because then you're not creating false expectations with your friends and family when you're honest. Yeah. But also, you never know. You might have opened up to someone and say, yeah, I'm actually, things aren't good. And that person would be like, oh, my friend George they can or my friend Sarah, they can help you with that. Right. I, can, I, can, I can connect you. So I think, um, you know, if you're going, don't be afraid to ask for help. Right. You know, like I've lost... So I lost a close friend to suicide because of, directly because of, of, of entrepreneurship. And then an extremely close friend, a, a family member of mine, um, you know, tried taking his life. He didn't succeed at it, but he came very close. And that was, that was such an eye-opener, you know. And this is someone who was a seasoned entrepreneur who right. owned a company for like 25 years that even after all that time of owning a company and me looking up to this person as, man, this person is just so awesome and I want to be like that person. And now seeing that person in such a vulnerable position, so much so that he was he was one of those people where nothing, like he, he could always do anything, right? And what happened was is he built up this wall around him. So when actually when things did get tough, he had like a, a perception about himself to maintain, that he didn't want to break down the right. walls. This is this is so and so, and I am the the king of that. Blah blah blah. Right. And and so he was afraid to show vulnerability and reach out for help. 
And the irony of it is, is that, you know, that led to his attempted suicide. And that actually leads to my the thing that I'm mo- second most proud of. So what I just told you first about Evercast. But the second thing I'm most proud of is that this particular person, he tried doing it because his business was was failing. Um, but it actually wasn't failing. It was just it needed a little bit of recalibration. But he was just he caught he, again. He just caught a bad moment and he just he couldn't see the clearing through the trees, right? Right. And so ultimately, all the years that I've struggled and all the tools that I've had to put in place to help me struggle through, you know, like creating these cash flow statements, uh, cash flow spreadsheets that I have and ways to, when you're riding the line on cash flow and you, you know, it's it's not like you have a, even a $100 buffer. It's No, it's down to the, the zero right. dollars in cash flow. I was able to leverage all that experience that I had with all these years of struggling, and I was able to save his company, legitimately save That's his awesome. company. And he, after he recovered um, and went back to actually work and he saw what I did, he ended up having like the, the best years of his company's career. I stepped in like while he was in the hospital and recovering. I got all the employees together. And luckily, you know, I had Alex. And at the time, Blake was still really a big part of the company. So they said, we'll take care of Evercast. I flew back. And for basically a month, I, um, I, I wrangled the troops and said, here's what we have to do. I've been through this. I know we can survive this. This is, he's, he, this is nothing compared to what I've had to deal with. Like, that's the, that was the funny thing is like, right. I, oh, my God, this is, this is why he was upset? Right, oh, man, right. I just got to make a few hard phone calls. That's about it. Piece of cake. And so, yeah, so I saved this company. And um, to, to this day, that is also one of the most you know, important things in my life because how special he was to me how much I looked up to him throughout all my life. And honestly, the fact that it showed me that I, that I did have what it took to be an entrepreneur. Because this is before Evercast blew up, right? Like right. this was, I came off the failure of creative, struggling in the middle of Evercast. And going through that exercise made me realize, I, shit, I do know a thing or two about yeah. running a company. So yeah, so that was, that was a really uh, rewarding moment in my life. And uh, so, yeah, so back to if you are struggling, if you are having problems, there's usually, there's always a solution, always a solution. As Ben said, there's always a move to make. And is are you brave enough to make the move? Right. And if you're not brave enough to make the move, don't be afraid to talk to people. Don't be afraid to open up because you never know who could be your savior. Yeah. Don't try to hold a facade that's not real. So, um, so Yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm super grateful. I'm so grateful for my experiences. I'm so grateful for the people in my life. And um, I wouldn't trade all that struggle and all those hard experiences. I wouldn't trade any of them for the world. Like I wouldn't, if yeah, people ask me, awesome. you know, if you, if you could go back to a certain age, what, where would you go? I would be <laughs> right like now. right now. <laughs> right now. This is the best. This is the best moment of my yeah. life right now. I'm so thankful for all the, the bumps along the way. Yeah. Um, and I would not go back. I just I, want to keep moving forward. I couldn't agree more, by the way. I, I, I feel like I feel the same way in that, like, this is the best moment of my life. And not that other moments haven't been also wonderful, but, you know, like, it's it's great. It's the journey. I've, like, <laughs> it's, I've embraced that. <laughs> you know, fortunately, I realized that early on and, you know, like, have been embracing that, I think, throughout my life. It's hopefully. the it's the opposite of, remember the movie Office Space? Yeah. Where he's sitting with the, the psychiatrist and he's like, every day is the worst day of my life. 
<laughs> and the guy's like, whoa, that's twisted. You know, is today the worst of your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's the opposite of that is that right. right now I'm just trying to take every day as looking at it as this is the best day of my life because I am a little bit smarter than I was yesterday. I'm a little bit wiser. Yeah. And um, I, I wouldn't go back. I love it. Yeah, I love I, I, I cherish the struggle. I love it. I'm so thankful for it. I hated it at the time. And I'm still going through the struggle now. It's just a different type of struggle. But it's yeah. still, still there. And like, uh, was it Francine you said? Yeah. Yeah. Just like she said, I'm by under no means of the imagination, like Evercast isn't a home run here. Like yeah. we still got work to do. And there's there's no guarantees for the future. But when I take any of this back, I just, maybe I can, now I can appreciate the journey a little more. Yeah. And, and see, connecting the dots, looking back, I can maybe connect a few of the dots. The Steve Jobs uh, moving forward. quote. That, that, that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. We're, we're connecting all the dots in this podcast. That's right. <laughs> that's right. This is, that should be the title of the podcast, Connect the Dots. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That, that's a great title. It could be a little tribute to, or like hidden, hidden tribute to Steve Jobs. For sure. And he, he deserves it. Yeah. Um, and tr- truly a, a hero. But, uh, let me before we start to wrap up. Is there anything else you want to talk about, like uh, that that we haven't touched on? Um, no. I mean, just give me like sixty seconds. Like, tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, <laughs> we haven't really, you know, I've, I've been driving by Axosoft for how long have you been in this building for? By the way, uh, two thousand ten. Okay, is when we moved in here. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, two thousand eleven was when I started Creative. So yeah. I, re- I mean, I drove by Axosoft. Had no idea what you guys did at the time, but like I just I remember always seeing Axosoft on the one hundred and one. Um, what what got you into it? Like why? Uh, entrepreneurship in general. Oh boy, that's a that's a that's going to be a long story. Yeah, we, but, we, but, but you can join my you know, podcast. And yeah, we'll talk exactly. About that. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, but no, I mean the the thirty second version is that like growing up, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, my parents were entrepreneurs. They had their own businesses, largely because they had to. Uh, they, they were uh, in, in Iran, which is where they're from and where, where I was born. Um, you know, like my mom was an entrepreneur because uh, she had to essentially had in to, order yeah. to, to like make things work. And sure. same with my dad. So they both worked together. When they came here, they couldn't get jobs necessarily. So they they based. Uh, my dad was selling cars, and my mom was. Uh, doing alterations. Yeah, they and, were forced to roll up their sleeves yeah. and do something. And eventually they they got a gift shop in Old Town Scottsdale. No way. And my mom worked at that gift shop all the way till COVID, uh, like Whoa, literally last year, which wow. is like absolutely insane. Where was it in Old Town? Uh, in uh, like Main Street. Oh, yeah. Main, in, in Indian School. Wow. Or uh, Main and Scottsdale Road. Uh, yeah. Uh, just south of Indian I'm School. sure I've been but, to it, especially uh, when I was coming here as a younger kid. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. So for, I don't know, since... 86, 87, they've had a, a gift shop uh, over there. So, Amazing. Yeah, cra- crazy. Anyway, uh, growing up, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and then like I fell in love with software uh, early on. I was a, like maybe 12 years old when I fell in love with software, and then like I knew I was going to put the two together, uh, and I kept trying. <laughs> yep, trying. Uh, and, yep. and eventually, uh, Axosoft was born, and uh, why Axosoft? I mean, why the... Oh, so Axosoft was um, a developer tool for keeping track of, like, my own projects um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, teams. And, you know, it sort of spread from there. And I put it out on the internet for people to use freely, and they loved it. They gave feedback. And that satisfaction of, like, people using your thing oh, man. was what drove me more than anything else. And it was free. 
but I knew like if I could get enough people to love it because you know at the time like shareware products had sure. like uh, been oh, yeah. successful yeah in, in a similar sort of uh, you know, freemium pattern of like start free, and then eventually, if people love it, you can charge for it. That's what I did, and what, the rest what, uh, is history. Uh, so that what year? What year did you start it? Two thousand two is when oh, I yeah, released the first version of the product. Yeah, I wow. worked on it for like six, seven months before I uh, released the first version, and then uh, two thousand three was the first revenue, and two thousand four is when I left my full time job at Microsoft to work on it full, uh, work on Axosoft on a full time basis, and. Uh, revenues in 2004 were 300,000. So I grew orga- like Axosoft organically wow. and uh, profitably from early on. And, wow. Yeah. Well, but uh, that that didn't prevent the struggles. There was yeah, times yeah. like there was literally a day when you know five people, like the, almost the entire development team. And this happened much more recently, like 2015. The entire development, uh, well, more than two thirds of the development team, like literally walked out on one day. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, like I, I asked them to, but like I didn't ask the specific people. But we were like going through all kinds of struggles, which we'll leave uh, for another podcast. Uh, but quick, quick note: but, uh, if my development team's listening, I love you so much. <laughs> I love them too. I love you, know? you guys, but, but and I still love uh, love those guys. But but uh, the the reality is that struggles happen, and it's just part of the whole journey. You know, like uh, there was lots of crying and you know, oh. like uh, <laughs> I, I've lost. I, yeah, actually, people know me as the crying Brad because I still now now I, my, I'm no longer it's no longer crying of like tears tears of fear. Yeah, I oftentimes like I get so emotional sometimes just because I I I'll, you know something will happen and then I'll reflect and oh my god, you remember where we came from? And I'll yeah. just like I'll lose it. Um, and you know, real quick, another great book which you haven't if you haven't read is by Scott Belsky, who uh, sold his company Behance, uh, which is actually was one of our competitors with Creative. Okay, that's a local company, right? No, be, wait. No, what am I thinking? Of? Okay, so keep going. What, what's the name of the book? Uh, um, the messy middle. Okay, and it's just it's about the same thing as that. It you know every entrepreneurship is a little bit glorified. Yeah, but the middle is nasty, and it can be very nasty. It's the it's the it's the dev team walking out. It's yeah. the not getting the capital in. It's all those things. That's stuff that you don't hear about, oftentimes because you either don't hear about it because the people end up not making it. Or it's you know the, 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 they just I don't think people talk about it enough, right? So yeah. that that book, awesome book, talks about his experience starting Behance and the lessons that he learned along the way. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, and then one final book is a book called Lost and Founder. Okay. By the uh, I think his name's Rand Fishkin or something. He created Moz. Yeah. M O Z. Oh yeah, he, his uh, story is super super interesting. interesting. Like I, I I know it's sort of. Uh, at a distance because of Moz and uh, yeah. just like how successful that, and he had a blog where he was yep, the, like just blogging the entire journey absolutely. of like them raising money and then they raised money at like I forget if it was a hundred million dollar valuation or if they raised a hundred million at, at, at like a billion but like shortly after that shit hit the fan yep, for them right? absolutely <laughs> it's just, yeah it just that's it can he, go wrong at any time it, is what it, it comes it, down it to for sure can and Lost and Founder talks all about it yeah so yeah Crazy. just embrace it don't uh, and don't don't give up, and don't be afraid to talk. And uh, it's not the end of the world if it doesn't work out either. Well, I'm so glad you made the time to come out here and meet with me, and you know, share your story. Evercast looks like an amazing company. I'm going to be Thanks, like man. kicking myself for not all, be, like not having found no, you sooner. Hey, it's not <laughs> not over yet. We'll see. Maybe we'll open up another round. Who knows? Or who who knows what the future 
we'll bring. Congratulations Thank on, you, man. on the, the uh, forget about the financial success. Congratulations on the um, on the user success. Yeah. On the, on yeah. the fact that you've Thank created you. something amazing that people love, that use, as you said, that save jobs. Yeah. Uh, super awesome. Well, and congratulations to you for you know achieving what most uh, entrepreneurs are in the pursuit of was thank, thank an actual you. exit. So that's and super inspiring. And thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. cool. Well, uh, well, we'll have to do this again soon then. I'd be, I'd be anytime. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll switch roles. <laughs> yeah, we'll have you interview me. Perfect. Bring, the, bring some Kleenex next time. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. Take care, man. Thank you. Bye.